this is Must Go Faster, a pop culture podcast for the people. I'm your co-host, Ben Brantlinger, broadcasting from Brooklyn, and it is just me. That is right. I am here to talk about the Oscars, but my beloved co-host is currently swamped with film school duties. I could, uh, I think, literally feel the stress pulsing through Rob's text, message, text messages to me um, while I, when he was explaining why he didn't have the time to, to record right before the Oscars, so unfortunately he won't be joining us on this episode of Must Go Faster, but given that one of our favorite cultural events of the year is rapidly approaching in the Oscars, we wanted to give you all some hot preview content, and I think you know Rob's really busy if he can't find time to talk Oscars, so uh, Rob, stay strong, brother, and uh, we'll, we'll be chatting in our next episode. So... If you've listened to this podcast before, you can tell that this is my first time doing a solo pod. We've never done this before. And uh, let's get into this and see how it goes. As mentioned, this is just going to be a complete Oscars preview breakdown episode of uh, this Sunday's 91st Academy Awards. So let's get into it. And, you know, before getting into the categories, I want to say, you know, over 30 million people watch the Oscars every year. It's the most watched show that isn't sports related. And winning an Oscar truly changes your career forever. So I know a lot of people, you know, every year see people on you know social media or Twitter, like, who cares what, you know, Hollywood elites think and, oh, movies are dead and whatever. And, you know, the rise of TV and all this stuff. This is still the most watched television event that isn't, you know, a sports related uh, event. So um, I think when you think of it like that, um, people really still care about the Oscars and they matter a ton in the culture and they matter a ton of the careers of people that were nominated. So I'm excited to talk about these categories and let's uh, get started with best actress in a supporting role. So the nominees for this category are Amy Adams in Vice, Regina King in If Beale Street Could Talk, uh, Marina de Tavera in Roma, Emma Stone in The Favorite, and uh, Rachel Wise in The Favorite. So some general thoughts. I think overall this is a really strong category this year. I think pretty much all five performances are deserving of the nomination. Uh, you know, starting with Amy Adams, she's been one of the most consistent actresses of the decade. She's been nominated for six Oscars total, four since 2010. She hasn't won one yet. In Vice, she's very good as uh, Lynn Cheney. You know, it's a movie that makes you realize how much of a catalyst she was in the rise of her husband. She has this driving, competitive personality. Um, you know, in watching Vice, it, it, it kind of makes you realize that maybe you know, Dick Cheney never would have had this career in politics and had the influence he had if it wasn't for um, the influence of his wife, um, which played by Amy Adams in the movie. Uh, it's, it's awesome that, kind of switching gears to, to the favorite, uh, they're represented twice in this category in Emma Stone and Rachel Wise, and it's pretty impressive how it just cleaned up with all three three main characters in that film getting acting nominations. Uh, you add in Olivia Coleman who uh, got nominated for Best Leading Actress and The Favorite. Um, you know, both Emma Stone and Rachel Wise are, are great in this. They have really awesome chemistry. Even if I were the last one left in this wretched place, I would remain a lady. <laughs> You're pretty when outraged. So my secrets are safe with you? All of them. Good. Even your biggest secret. This movie is basically like 
Mean Girls in the early 1700s. And I know Rob had it on his top 10 of the year. It's a movie that I really liked. Didn't quite get into my top 10, but it it has uh, 10 nominations this year, which is tied with Roma for the most. So the Academy really uh, gave it a lot of love. And it's cool to see. It's a very artful, funny, interesting movie. And we'll definitely get more into some favorite chatter as we go down through the other categories. Uh, Marina de Tavera. So in Roma, I, I got to be honest, this was not the most memorable part of this movie. For me, I don't really recall any aspect of her performance that stood out. I mean, she was good. She didn't detract anything from the film, of course, but just a little head scratching um, that she was kind of nominated here, uh, in my opinion. And I think who will win this award, though, is Regina King in If Beale Street Could Talk. I don't understand you. It's your grandchild. What difference does it make how he gets here? The child ain't got nothing to do with that. Ain't none of us got nothing to do with that. There's some really heartbreaking uh, moments in this film, and, and King, she nails it as uh, Sharon Rivers plays the mother of Tish, who's played by Kiki Lane. It's a very righteous role. She's won, uh, she won the Golden Globe. She's won several critical awards leading up to this. She's definitely the favorite and if you haven't seen If Beale Street Could Talk, I think it's still in theaters. There was only three nominations, which I was very stunned by. This was my fourth favorite movie of 2018. Um, it's really just a lovely, powerful, romantic drama. I got into detail why it was one of my favorite movies of the year and our best movies of 2018 pod, so I won't get you know super into it right now. But really see If Beale Street Could Talk. It's a, it's a movie I'd recommend to pretty much anyone, um, anyone that likes movies. And, you know, I think as far as who should win, um, I think Regina King will win. I would say as as my favorite performance out of these was probably Emma Stone. Um, It's the one I enjoyed the most. I think it's just as strong as Regina King's. And it was just really interesting to see Emma Stone in this role. Thought she was very kind of conniving and captivating, but also hilarious at times. Has a really strong development of her character throughout from kind of the first time she's on screen to the end. It's a really interesting arc. And it's cool to see a movie star of Emma Stone's caliber do this kind of art house type movie like The Favorite. Um, so props of her on that on that career move. So the next category is uh, Best Actor in a Supporting Role. So the nominees here are uh, Mahershala Ali in Green Book, Adam Driver in Black Klansman, Sam Elliott in A Star is Born, Richard E. Grant in Can You Ever Forgive Me, and Sam Rockwell in Vice. So my thoughts on this category, um, you know, let's start with with Sam Elliott's performance in A Star is Born. I think um, in that movie, which I I definitely liked a lot, and I'll kind of get into more as, you know, A Star is Born showed up in some of the major categories, but he's his performance he's kind of the centerpiece in a scene that a lot of people have talked about as one of the most emotional of the year and that's the backing out of the driveway after his last interaction with bradley cooper's character in a star is born and that tearful look in his eyes and face for really only about three seconds i think is worthy alone of a nomination um there's also the scene where jackson Maine, played by bradley cooper uh, punches him in the face and there's that intense monologue that follows he washed away in a fucking storm. His grave isn't there anymore. I told you, but you were fucking drunk. You were fucking loaded. And already pissing yourself a swamp song. 
Uh, they're like face to face, like inches away. It's just really engaging stuff. The writing and dialogue in that scene is great, and uh, the performances between those two in this in the scene are really striking. There's a great use of f bombs in that scene as well, where you really you really feel them in your in your gut when they when they say them, especially in their their deep voices. Uh, Sam Rockwell has, or oh, I was going to also say uh, with with Sam Elliott is. You know, he plays the brother of Bradley Cooper and his, his manager, and they have this tumultuous relationship, but they really seem like they're from the same DNA strand as one another. Uh, you can totally buy their brothers, especially in the that really deep voice that, that both of them uh, play. Sam Rockwell got the nomination as George W. Bush and in Vice, and I mean, I, I like Sam Rockwell as much as anyone else does, but, you know, who doesn't like Sam Rockwell, but... You know, he's got a nice W accent in this, but I mean, come on, Oscar-nominated performance? I mean, this this was not that, in my opinion. I mean, he's in Vice for maybe 15 minutes total, and this isn't an instance where, you know, Anthony Hopkins in, in Sounds of the Lambs, for example, is only on screen for, I think it's like, I don't know, I want to say between like 10 and 20 minutes of the entire film, but his performance is so magnetic that it feels like he's in, you know, nearly every scene. This is not... One of those instances. Um, I feel like Rockwell, he's maybe still riding the voters' coattails from winning Best Supporting Actor last year in three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. And I just, I don't know, I, I understand, you know, Academy voters, they love, you know, period pieces, even though, I mean, this takes place in, in modern history and when you're ever portraying historical figures like this. But I don't know, just, he's he's fine in this role, but, like, it just, to be nominated for an Oscar for it, I, I feel like, most people here would agree with me. Like, it's just not worthy of a big Oscar nomination. So he has no chance of winning, but he got the nomination. And I think, you know, there are other people that were more deserving that could have gotten his slot. Adam Driver in uh, Black Klansman, you know, he's putting together a hell of an IMDb page, I would say. You know, of course, he's got the major franchise um under his belt, uh, playing Kylo Ren in Star Wars. He's already worked with Steven Spielberg, the Coen brothers, Steven Soderbergh, etc. Um, and even though I didn't really care for Black Klansman myself, um, it's still an Oscar-nominated Spike Lee joint. Uh, Adam Driver, he's one of those really just interesting faces. Um, he's just got, like, large features and a really unique uh, voice literally that's kind of born to be on camera like he's he's meant to be a performer so even though I'm not a huge fan of Black Klansman I think he was you know really solid in this film and I can understand why he got nominated and uh, you know I think who's going to win this award is going to be Mahershala Ali um, that would be two best supporting wins already in his career. He won, uh, in Moonlight, which he is fantastic in, and he would join, by winning this, he'd join a class of 41 other actors and actresses that have won two or more Academy Awards, and it, it kind of reminds me, if this happens a little bit, you know, of Christoph Waltz winning two best supporting, um, acting awards for his, uh, his work in two Tarantino movies that came out this decade in, or in Glorious Passwords 2009, Sorry, and then uh, in Django Unchained, a few years later, um, they were very close together. Um, you know, Mahershala, he's very, very good in Green Book as Dr. Don Shirley. It wasn't as striking as a performance in Moonlight, not to really compare the two, but it's just natural to do that. But it, it, in Green Book, it, you know, it's a complex character. He's very convincing. 
I don't think he was, you know, outstanding or jaw-dropping. I actually prefer the performance of Viggo Mortensen, who was who's nominated um, for Best Actor in a leading role in this movie. Um, but, you know, Mahershala, he's one of our great actors working today. He's, you know, in True Detective Season 3 right now. Um, you know, if he wins, again, he'll, you know, this will be uh, just huge for his career and it'll kind of solidify him as, you know, definitely in that um, very rarefied air of, you know, one of the best actors working. And I, yeah, I just can't say I'd be necessarily disappointed at him winning this. And as far as who should win, you know, looking at these nominees, I, I don't know. I kind of have a little bit of a soft spot for Sam Elliott's performance in A Star is Born. Um, I think there's a practically zero chance of that happening but if I had to pick out of these I, I would go with Sam Elliott in A Star is Born. So let's move on to Best Actress in a Leading Role. So the nominees for this are uh, Yelitsa Aparicio in Roma, Glenn Close, Close in The Wife, Olivia Coleman in The Favorite, Lady Gaga in A Star is Born, and Melissa McCarthy in Can You Ever Forgive Me. So Lady Gaga. Um, I think Overall, in A Star Is Born, I think she really nails it as the you know aspiring pop performer that she plays. Originally, Beyonce was going to be in this role. It was going to be directed by Clint Eastwood. Um, it's kind of fascinating to think about if that was the path that this movie took. Um, I think Gaga, you know, is much better at acting than Beyonce. I'm a much bigger fan of Beyonce's uh, music career. But sorry to the Bayhive. I think that uh, Gaga is is definitely a better actress. I think. In this performance in A Star is Born, there's a really strong sense of, you know, naturalism, um, you know, and that is not, I guess, too difficult for her to do, given that she's had this career in her own life as a pop star. But, you know, the chemistry of her and Bradley Cooper, particularly in that first hour and those first couple meetings, you know, I was rewatching scenes of this movie, and you could really just see it in her eyes. Like, it's just it's just great acting and performance. Like it really looks like someone who's kind of falling in love with someone for the first time. And I was really just kind of struck by her, her eyes. Like, and I think that's something to kind of just pay attention to if you're rewatching this film or certain scenes from it. Um, the scene where she performs shallow for the first time. I mean, that's been talked about at nauseum as one of the great movie moments of 2018. And for good reason it is. I mean, I love the way she progressively gets more confident as that song itself builds you have the uh, encouragement of, of, of Bradley Cooper's character in that. It's just a great movie moment. So I, I'm a fan of, of Gaga in this role, and I definitely think that uh, she deserves to be nominated. I think, you know, back in the fall, um, you know, it was kind of thought that she was the front runner to win this. I, I That's not the case anymore, and I think she has a very low chance of winning, but um, I think it is an Oscar-winning, uh, or I don't know winning performance, but she definitely deserved to be nominated. Um, Yelitsa Aparicio in Roma, she's never acted in anything else before, which is just astonishing. She was studying to be a teacher. Uh, her performance in Roma, it's very kind of like emotionally understated mostly throughout. Obviously, there are some very emotional scenes in, in this movie. But I think ultimately it's it's a very observational performance. And it's great that she's recognized. I mean, that's an amazing story of her never acting before going from from like zero to 100. I mean, God, like the aspiration of getting nominated for Best Actress. I mean, that's really like the pinnacle I mean, winning is the pinnacle, but like the second pinnacle is 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 getting nominated here. So um, that is that is amazing. Olivia Coleman, I think she's great as Queen Anne in the favorite. 
It's a role of kind of like vulnerability, despite playing a queen in a way, which I thought is interesting. And it's a very layered performance. I also want to shout out, there were some kind of notable snubs in this category. I think Emily Blunt in A Quiet Place could have definitely been in here. And same with Tony Collette in Hereditary, which is a movie Rob and I both loved, was in our top 10. She is just an incredible, like, tour de force performance, like, horror performance. I mean, that is one of the best horror performances I've ever seen in a movie, Tony Collette in Hereditary. So, um, in, in what Emily Blunt does in A Quiet Place is, is incredible as well. I mean, the sequence of her pregnancy, I mean, Jesus, like, that is some harrowing stuff. And I thought they were both amazing, and I could, uh, you know, if it was up to me, I, I would have had them both nominated. You know, as far as who will win this award, I think it's a foregone conclusion that uh, Glenn Close will. This is her seventh nomination in her career that has spanned over four decades. She has all the momentum here. She's been winning everything leading up to the Oscars. She has her, you know, award speech locked in. She's playing that necessary game of politics and campaigning, which is really kind of a I don't know I feel like one third of like what goes into you like winning and and she is nailing that game I have not seen the wife I literally do not know anyone in my life who has who has seen it as well but apparently you know she's really great in this and um you know the academy has this history of recognizing you know, actors and directors and, and whatnot at kind of later stages of their career, not necessarily for like their best work, but kind of like, oh, it's they've they're due, you know, do the award now. It's their time. So I think that's kind of a case what's happening with Glenn Close. And, you know, she's had a career where she she deserves to win one Oscar. And I think she's going to get it uh, Sunday night for her work in The Wife. All right, so let's move to Best Actor in a Leading Role now. So the nominees are Christian Bale in Vice, Bradley Cooper in A Star is Born, Willem Dafoe at Eternity's Gate, Rami Malek in Bohemian Rhapsody, and Viggo Mortensen in Green Book. First, I want to start off by saying that my boy Ethan Hawke was very snubbed uh, in his performance for First Reformed. I mean, seriously, just what the hell? I, I you know... He, this is a guy he's been nominated four times before. He's been not movies for the last 30 years, has as high of an approval rating as any actor. I mean, do you know anyone who doesn't like Ethan Hawke? And he's just incredible in First Reformed. I mean, I went into you know detail um, when we were talking about the best movies of last year in our previous podcast. But um, I feel like this would have been a perfect opportunity to award him, you know, at this point in his career, kind of what I was just talking about with Glenn Close is like, you know, even even though I think this performance is, it's not like a handicap of like, oh, we're going to award you even though this isn't your best work. I think this is the best performance I've ever seen him in. And, you know, I just think if this movie came out at around, you know, in the fall, closer to Oscar season, and, you know, just did a bit more campaigning around it, it definitely could have could have made, you know, more noise. I think it's probably the best made movie of the year. It didn't get a best picture nomination. And Ethan Hawke is just so powerful and it's such a difficult performance um and I, yeah i was just like when i read the oscar nominations a few weeks ago that was the one that uh most outraged me as far as these things go talking about people that actually were nominated uh bradley cooper as jackson Maine in a star is born um i think this is an amazing performance i walked out of that movie saying that he he deserves best actor i mean this was a performance that was so 
like lived in. It seemed like he was already this guy for years, like this Eddie Vedder, Tom Petty-esque, washed-up rock star. And the, like he was already this person, like he'd been this person for years, and then and then played him in a movie. Um, I love the physicality of this performance, kind of just like the cracks in his face and the greasy hair. He's just a grisly, a grisly man, and in that deep voice with the southern drawl, it almost sounds modulated. I mean, there isn't a trace of of Cooper's real voice in this. Uh, it's really him, you know, singing in in this film, and, and he learned to play the guitar, and also. You know, he's someone who's been sober for 15 years in his own personal life um, after dealing with his own battle with uh, substance abuse, which I think is just, I don't know, even wilder that he was able to play this kind of role and, and play it so well. And I was emotionally moved at the end of Star is Born. Um, you know, and this is primarily due to his performance and the way he builds up this character and really makes really made me care about him in this, you know, fictional, fictional movie. So, um, that, that is my pick as far as who, who should win. Um, Rami Malek, I guess we need to talk about. So I, I really like him as an actor, you know, especially in, in Mr. Robot. And he's definitely the best part of this movie, his performance. I mean, the live eight sequence is great. Um, but I don't know, I'll kind of get into my, my critiques of the, of this film later during the best picture, um, category, but, um, it, you know, he's lip singing in this movie compared to Cooper who, who, who is not, um, you know, there's several scenes where it looked like he was just kind of like, oh, I'm dressed up as Freddie Mercury for Halloween. It's a bit of a parody performance. Um, you know, he had to put in those fake teeth to get the uh, Freddie Mercury overbite. And especially in like the, kind of the first half of the movie, I was just kind of like, this dude is just wearing a costume. And I wasn't that convinced. And um, we'll get more into Bohemian Rhapsody uh, later later in the pod. Viggo Mortensen for his work in Green Book, um, mentioned early briefly, I think he's an exceptional as as kind of this Italian-American Bronx-based bouncer in this movie. He's very kind of likable, seems like a good hang. I think he slips into this role seamlessly, and he deserves to be nominated. I also like how much he was eating throughout this movie. It made me very hungry, and luckily I was at a theater that you could order food, and I was I ordered like a fried chicken sandwich and fries because they're kind of indulging in a lot of um, foods of that nature. And uh, I don't know, I just like that that tick uh, about his character. But who's going to win this award is probably going to be Christian Bale. I mean, you know all about the weight gain. He has a long history of it. Um, you know, the way he was able to change his voice, really remarkable to match uh, Dick Cheney. My problem, uh, I'm CEO of a large company. I have been uh, Secretary of Defense. I have been the Chief of Staff. Uh, the Vice Presidency is mostly a uh, symbolic job. Right, right. The Academy loves him. This is his fourth time nominated. If he wins, it'll be his second win after uh, winning uh, for supporting in The Fighter in 2011. I mean, Christian Bale, like, I, I love him. I mean, the guy is, it's been said, is kind of like now that Daniel Day-Lewis has quote-unquote retired, he's kind of taken the mantle as, like, best living actor. I mean, the way he's able to just truly transform into these parts is remarkable. And I was just, I, I recently rewatched The the Dark Knight, um, and it's just awesome that, a guy at this stature like played Bruce Wayne and Batman. You just kind of like forget like 
this guy, like, you know, he's about to win his second Oscar nomination. He is, like, such an actor's actor, but he also did this, like, amazing uh, blockbuster franchise and Chris Nolan's uh, Batmans. And I don't know, just, like, I, I don't feel like that's not talked about enough that he actually, like, slipped into, like, a role of playing, you know, a comic book hero. And he's also, like, the Daniel Day-Lewis of, of right now. As far as who should win, I, I mentioned Bradley Cooper. Um, you know, as I said, I I thought that right after I saw Star is Born when it first came out in October. I just love the commitment. I think he's mesmer- uh, mesmerizing in pretty much every scene. And it's more emotional range than, than Bale's performance. So if it was up to me, I would award uh, Bradley Cooper with, with the win here. So let's talk about the screenplays now. Um, Best Original Screenplay nominees are The Favorite, First Reformed, yes, uh, Green Book, Roma, and Vice. Um, Some general thoughts, I think, first off, Eighth Grade, I think, should have definitely been nominated here. I think that completely perfects the vernacular of the modern-day middle school student. High level of of skill to achieve that screenplay. So I don't know, I, I think, you know, God, swap out, you know, Green Book with with eighth grade for sure. Um, Vice, I think, was a very difficult screenplay to pull off uh, with the way it's edited and its narrative structure. It's a very, like, zippy history lesson, and it packs in a ton. The film is overall, I think, a, a bit messy, but I really admired its ambition, and I think, you know, this has a chance of, of, of potentially winning here. Roma, while the movie is an amazing, amazing technical achievement, you know, to me, the screenplay didn't really stand out. I don't think there was necessarily any memorable writing in it. I think what you remember most from that film are certain sequences and, and mainly like the way they're shot and staged and the sound design and more of the aesthetics. Um, so the writing to get nominated here, a little head scratching, um, but it's there. And, you know, and Roma could clean up with a lot of awards, so it, it may win. The Favorite, I think, had an extremely witty script with tons of sharp dialogue, really elevated the performances, the screenplay, and I don't think this movie works with your average script. Uh, it was central to its success. It's a very, you know, the movie is essentially just people just talking in rooms for two hours, and uh, it was a really fantastic script, and I would, uh, yeah, that's probably the one I'm pulling for most here. Green Book, I think, you know, despite, you know, Beyond just being a pretty average screenplay, I think it definitely should not win, especially due to some of the controversy that's emerged. If you're not familiar, uh, family members of the pianist, uh, Dr. Donald Shirley, who's played by Mahershala Ali, they've criticized the film for what they said are basically, you know, narrative falsehoods. Um, in an interview that Dr. Shirley's nephew did, um, and the, uh, their brother, they called out the film for kind of twisting truths and manipulating the friendship between Dr. Shirley and the chauffeur, uh, chauffeur. Tony uh, Bellalonga, who's played by Viggo Mortensen. Um, and yeah, just behind that, it's kind of just like a ham-fisted screenplay in a way. Like, it's a bit it's a bit cheap. And um, while I kind of just I enjoyed this movie, I mean, to be nominated for Best Screenplay, like, I just don't think it was deserving. And I hope the favorite takes it. Um, as far as who should win, it's got to be First Reformed. It is First Reformed. I detailed it a ton in our uh, Best Movies of 2018 pod, but 
Paul Schrader's screenplay is is near perfection. Um, and that, I would say, out of every category, that is the win I'm pulling for most this Sunday. I mean, there isn't a wasted letter in this screenplay, let alone line or scene. I mean, God, this screenplay is freaking great. So um, I'm hopeful. I'm hoping that First Reform pulls this out. Um, it'd be great to award Paul Schrader, who's a legendary screenwriter. I mean, the guy wrote freaking Taxi Driver. Um, and it would be amazing to see him up on that stage. Um, I also wouldn't be mad at the favorite. So I think, uh, you know, if one of those two wins, it'll be, uh, it'll be good. Moving on to Best Screenplay Adapted, the nominees are The Ballad of Buster Shrugs, Black Klansman, Can You Ever Forgive Me, If Beale Street Could Talk, and A Star Is Born. Ballad of Buster Shrugs, uh, Coen Brothers, they always deliver, deliver really strong screenplays. They, I think, have written every movie that they've directed. And in Buster Shrugs, I mean, they create six distinct stories. Some are more engaging than others, but it's an impressive feat to uh to do that. Um, so I, I admire that execution. A Star is Born, I think, had some great dialogue, particularly in that first hour when uh, Jackson and, and Allie are first meeting each other and they're starting their relationship. The chemistry sparkles between the two um, are just really evident, and I credit that a lot to the dialogue. You know, of course, this movie has plenty of moments where you can roll your eyes at, but it still had several great scenes that I think were anchored by its screenplay. I think what's going to win this award is Black Klansman. I think it's fitting kind of the movie of the moment narrative. I think this is the one major award that goes to this movie. It was nominated for several awards. I'm not a huge fan of this, but, um, you know, I, I, I could see it see it winning here. I think, you know, if Beale Street Could Talk would probably be my, my choice um, for the film that deserves to win um, for Best Adapted Screenplay. I think part of this answer is due to the snubbing that film had in other categories. It wasn't nominated for Best Picture. It wasn't nominated for Best Director, which I was really, really stunned by. Um, you know, the screenplay, it doesn't necessarily, you know, and If Beale Street Could Talk stand out to me as being the strongest aspect, but it's kind of just as equally excellent as all the other elements of this film. Um, you know, the performances, the direction, cinematography, the score. Um, so I would say... Bill Street Could Talk should win. Maybe, you know, A Star is Born, I wouldn't be uh, upset at. All right, so let's get into Best Director, which I would say is my favorite category of the Oscars. So the nominees here are Black Klansman, directed by Spike Lee, Cold War, directed by uh, Paul Palakowski, The Favorite, directed by Yorgos Lenthimos, Roma, Alfonso Cuaron, and Vice, Adam McKay. I think, um, again, yeah, to start this off with a snub that I think happened, Damien Chazelle in First Man. I mean, th- this movie, First Man, really just got shut out of every major category. Got to picked up a few aesthetic nominations, but Chazelle, he directs the hell out of this thing. I've gone on record saying how much of a technical and directorial achievement I think this movie is. Um, he should have gotten a nomination here, um, but it is what it is. Adam McKay in Vice, I think this is very skillfully made and edited, the use of archive footage throughout. It's kind of this, uh, you know, zippy history lesson portraying a despicable man, and I think it was it was tough to pull off at this, at this level, so I think he's deserving of that nomination. Spike Lee, it's actually his first Best Director nomination, so long overdue. overdue. I mean, he should have gotten this back when he made uh, Do the Right Thing in the 80s, and 
Spike has been very active on this this press tour leading up to the Oscars, and he's you know always been super charismatic and charming, and everyone likes Spike Lee. And I didn't really like this movie Black Klansman, but I'm not mad about it about him getting nominated. I mean, he's definitely a legendary director. Um, he deserves the Best Director Award at some point in his career. I just don't think it should necessarily be for this movie. Uh, Yorgos Lanthimos in The Favorite. Um, love the cinematography in this film. There's so many creative shots and angles and lens choices. Just really just like creative things he does with the camera. Overall, this is a very well-made movie. It's by far his most uh, accessible, and I'm happy to see him uh, get recognized. He's definitely one of like the auteurs uh, working in, in in cinema today. Then you have Alfonso Cuarón, who you know the range to make a spectacle like Gravity in 2013, and then his next movie to be something like Roma is impressive to say the least. I mean, those two films have practically nothing in common other than the amazing direction of Cuarón. Um, you know. As my co-host Rob so eloquently put it in our top 10 uh, movies of 2018 pod, Roma was his number one. It kind of reaffirmed how artful movies can be and reminded us why we're passionate about film in the first place. I mean, the scale and staging of several sequences um, is just incredible uh the use of sound and those wide shots and i mean he is is truly a master of the art form and um he is going to win here uh, as i think he should it's definitely the best directed out of the bunch it's filmmaking at a virtuoso level um this would be his second win for best director along with 2013's gravity he'd be getting a back-to-back uh director wins um, in the Oscars, which is uh, very impressive. Um, Alejandro Inuatu won back-to-back for uh, Birdman and The Revenant. Um, so it's really great yet. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm rooting for Kiran. He deserves it 100%. I have not mentioned uh, Cold War, which I, I don't think I'd even heard of until it was nominated here. I'm sure it's fine, but I have zero thoughts on it, so I'm just going to leave it at that. But this is really going to be Curon's win here. So um, looking forward to uh, that acceptance speech. And yeah, he truly directed the hell out of that movie, so he deserves it. Okay, lastly, it is Best Picture. And then after that, I'll kind of run quickly through um, some thoughts on some of the the other categories. But this will be kind of the last full breakdown of a a category we'll do on this episode. So Best Picture nominees are Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, Roma, A Star is Born, Vice. So I'm going to say to the listeners, maybe brace yourself. I'm about to go into a little bit of hater mode. I don't like to do this, but I just need to be honest and kind of express my thoughts on some of these selections. So Black Klansman, as I kind of just said, I, I like Spike Lee. I just didn't really enjoy this movie. There's some fine performances and striking scenes, but overall it was just kind of just kind of a dull movie for me. It, it felt a little too on the nose as well. I didn't love the way it ended bringing together, um, you know, uh, footage of the Trump presidency. I'm all for hating on that presidency in every way, shape, or form, but that just felt a little, a little forced in a way. And I was just kind of bored by the movie, to be honest. Like, on paper, I love the concept of this story, but the execution and reality of just watching it was just kind of a snoozer and anticlimactic. So, um, 
yeah, I don't know. Those, that's just kind of my thoughts on on uh, Black Klansman. Bohemian Rhapsody. So I know a lot of people love this movie. It was a massive hit. Um, and I was mostly, you know, entertained while watching this movie throughout. Queen has tons of great songs, obviously. The Live Aid sequence is breathtaking. There's no other way to put it. That is a an amazing cinematic sequence. Um, you know, I enjoyed the scenes in the studio where they kind of shed light on, on Queen's creative process and how some of their biggest hits came to be. But... And I'm sure this might piss some people off, as a lot of people love this movie, but this movie, I think, was poorly made overall. I mean, really generic writing. It felt like a a screenplay that was written by, like, a freshman in Screenplay 101. Like, they could have written, like, his dialogue as compelling. I thought it just felt so telegraphed and kind of, like, cut and paste. really just felt like a made-for-TV movie and just very... It's very amateur. Something I'll say about this movie... Um, as I'm sure people are, <laughs> might be up- upset that I, I, you know, kind of felt this way, but there are some really key historical inaccuracies in the way that this is told. And I know it's not a documentary, but you know, a few things like queen, they, they never broke up. Like rather they were just kind of all burned out and wanted to take a break. But this movie, it portrays Freddie as signing a solo deal behind the band's back. And that was kind of the catalyst of them, you know, uh, breaking up and getting upset. Like this, this never happened. The Live Aid performance wasn't a reunion of the band, so that whole scene of them meeting and kind of convincing one another that they need to get back together to do this, that just wasn't the case. And for me, like, the biggest one is, um, you know, Freddie didn't learn that he was HIV positive um, before this concert. So the scene where they're rehearsing and there's that very emotional moment where he he tells his, his bandmates that he has AIDS, but... They, he wants to, you know, do this show and everything, and it, it's a touching moment, but that did not happen. So, like, and I think that's why that that sequence of the the Live Aid performance is so uh, powerful. Is kind of he's knowing, like, I'm gonna, you know, be dying, you know, in the next few years, and I'm kind of making this, uh, you know, this moment and my my stamp on on my entire career, and I want to be remembered by, like that that's not the way it actually played out so if you kind of take those um those inaccuracies and add all up like a lot of the emotional beats in this movie are kind of fabricated and i know it's not a documentary but i think these are pretty noteworthy and after i i learned about these after watching watching the movie it really made me kind of like dislike a lot of it and again i was entertained as like just a piece of movie entertainment but i think it was poorly made in a lot of ways and these um inaccuracies uh really kind of left a bad taste in my mouth and it's insane that this was nominated for best picture i'm sorry like this is one of the as far as movies that were nominated for best picture this is one of the worst movies i've ever seen nominated for best picture that's not saying it's a it's you know complete and under garbage or anything but to be nominated for best picture in a movie like that like it's insulting in a way so i'm sorry that's the way i feel um, and I, luckily I don't think it has a, has a chance of winning. I know it won the Golden Globes. I mean, the Golden Globes are a joke for the most part, but anyway, that is how I feel about that movie, and again, I love Queen, but I, I, I can't say I loved uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Black Panther, I, I rewatched this recently, and it's, it's really good. I mean, it's still, I would say, you know, like an 8 out of 10 for me. Like, there's some amazing scenes, 
it's obviously this watershed moment for blockbuster comic book movies in in the sense that it's the first to have this predominantly black class uh, cast Um, the movie presents you know some really interesting ideas but I just can't really get over how much it followed the Marvel movie template in a way Um, however I will say that this movie 10 years from now will probably be the most remembered out of this set of nominees it was as much of a cultural moment as any movie has been in the last 15 to 20 years and I think it being nominated will probably increase for I don't know like 10 it have like a 10 percent increase in the rating just because it was included here um but I don't think that this is a great a great movie I mean 100 percent a cultural phenomenon but um and I can understand it, it getting the nomination here but I, I, I do, I, I don't think that this reached kind of like that great level that, you know, maybe some people think it did. Green Book, I get it. Like the story is feel good. It's well-rounded. There's likable characters. It kind of wraps a nice, uh, you know, bow at the end. But like this movie is ham-fisted in a lot of ways. It plays it safe. It kind of operates in this lukewarm middle ground territory. It's very predictable. Knowing this that this was written by couple white guys there's some scenes in there that made me racially uncomfortable and i'm just a white dude um you know there was nothing exceptional about the direction by pete Farrelly, who's you know more well known for comedies like dumb and dumber and something about mary i am glad he wasn't nominated for for uh best director here because I, i i just don't think there was hardly really anything that stood out to me as an exceptional directing um you know there's some nice development an arc between the two main characters played by Viggo Mortensen and Mahershala Ali, but, um, you know, it, it just shouldn't be nominated. And I, it kind of has this old fashioned Hollywood feel to it when you're watching it kind of reminded me a little bit of shape of waters appeal from last year. But, um, again, yeah, like Bohemian Rhapsody, like I, I just, no, no, shouldn't be nominated. Vice, very entertained by, really loved its ambition. I'm a big fan of the style of filmmaking that uh, Adam McKay has employed. I think he's making, you know, it's important to see a movie like Vice. He made The Big Short, which had the same kind of style. It's an important movie. I'm glad he's making them. I like how he's splicing in kind of these pop cultural references throughout the film to remind people the time period he's in. So um, I think when this first came out, it was like a little bit polarizing. It didn't get like amazing reviews, but I thought this was like a really, you know, very solid movie. And I don't know, in a stronger movie year, I don't know if it would have gotten nominated, but um, it's definitely one of the better films, I think, in this, this set of nominees. The Favorite had 10 nominations tied with Roma. It's easily the best um Comedy of the Year, um, Oscars, they love period pieces. This one had a really original point of view, a really in- original story, sharp as hell screenplay, wonderful cinematography. I don't think it has any shot of winning, unfortunately, but um, definitely like one of the best movies out of, out of this set. A Star is Born. So <clears throat> I think if this movie was kind of sweeping award season, it'd be facing a lot of like major backlash uh, and I probably would have piled onto that backlash because it's an easy target to kind of like poke fun of. But since it hasn't really been crushing in these awards, it's been, you know, nominated but hasn't really been winning. I kind of find myself rooting for this movie and almost think it's like underrated in a way. And I've been kind of defending it. I think A Star is Born, you know, it unapologetically goes for it. It takes its swing. And given the, the material and execution, it's, it's, it's natural to have 
several corny moments, which this movie does. But um, overall, I mean, this is much, much better than it had any right to be. Um, the first hour is pretty much flawless. I think the original music uh, is great, obviously, with, with Shallow and a few of the other uh, songs that were, you know, written by professional songwriters, and you can tell. Um, and this is a much better movie, much, much better made movie, too, I mean, than Bohemian Rhapsody. And uh, just to compare it to the other music-centric movie nominated for Best Picture, I think there's really some nice touches of direction. You know, for example, how claustrophobic, claustrophobic um, it makes uh, being famous seem. Um, there's those close-ups uh, during the live performances, which are really well shot, I think. Um, that scene in the parking lot uh, between Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga's character where she first kind of like, you know, uh, sings shallow. And uh, like, there's a very subtle moment where you can kind of hear like the wind that's happening in the background just from like the weather. And I think it's just like little things like that that are kind of strung throughout the movie that shows like this is really like thoughtful and and considered and really well directed. I think Cooper should have gotten a Best Director nomination. But I think as far as who will win, it'll be Roma. Um, you know, I don't think there is a movie nominated here that I love. There wasn't a single one that was actually in my top 10 from last year. Um, I don't think it was a great year for movies. Um, and sorry to be a downer, but that's just how I feel. Having said that, Roma, just given how much of a cinematic achievement it was to make a movie like that, um, you know, I, I think it's a it's a worthy selection for Best Picture. So, so we'll see. As long as it's not a Green Book or Bohemian Rhapsody, I don't think it'll be a travesty per se. All right, let's wrap up with some kind of miscellaneous category thoughts. Um, I think Roma will win a lot of these aesthetic awards, um, you know, cinematography, sound, editing. I think it'll probably end up with the most in total. Uh, best documentary, uh, Mining the Gap, which is nominated, was my favorite film of the year. I think it has an outside chance of winning, but I think Free Solo is the favorite right now. It's gaining a lot of steam. I mean, that definitely has the highest degree of difficulty to make. Uh, the difficult, you know, the degree being uh, death, uh, given that they were, um, uh, you know, filming this guy uh, doing uh, this free rock climbing. Uh, it, I haven't seen Free Solo yet. I mean, it's the top of my list, but it, it looks incredible. And I think it's just as far as the degree of difficulty it took, I mean, you, you got to kind of award them there. I think Vice will win Best Makeup, I think purely for what they did to Christian Bale's face. Um, best Score, most deserving is if Bill Street could talk. Um, Nicholas Bertone, who... Uh, we talked about heavily on the pod before. I think this is the by far the best original score of the year and the one that felt most attached to the narrative of a movie. It really almost felt like a the score felt like almost like a character in If Beale Street Could Talk. It has the largest presence um, as like far as the relationship of a score to a movie did in anyone this year. Best song, Shallow, It's a Lock. I'm looking forward to that uh, performance of, of Cooper and Gaga. It'll be interesting to see does... How much Jack does Cooper Jackson main it like, or is he going to be Bradley Cooper doing this song? It'll be an interesting moment in in the show. Um, I think all the stars uh, off Black Panther featuring Kendrick Lamar and SZA. That is an outside chance. Um, you know, it's this huge hit compared paired with the biggest movie of the year. But I think Shallow is definitely um, going to win it here. Production design, the favorite will take it. The Academy loves a good period piece, as I mentioned, and the production design in this movie is perfect. It truly transported you to the early 1700s. All those interior, interior details um, 
of the film, like really kind of transported you there. And I thought was, was excellent. Best sound editing, obviously a quiet place. I mean, is there any other choice? No other movie has used sound in this way before, and it deserves to be recognized here. And best animated, I'm pulling hard for uh, Spider-Verse. I mean, that is a dazzling movie, full of heart. It's original. It's creative as hell. It's inspirational. It's just, it has to win over a Pixar sequel and Incredibles 2 and, you know, an average Wes Anderson film and Isle of Dogs. I mean, Into the Spider-Verse is, uh, is, is what I'm pulling for, and I think we'll, we'll walk away with it. Um, I also want to just say in general with the Oscars, I love the the mont. People kind of hate you know the length and whatever, and they're trying to figure out all these ways to to cut length. Um, I love the montage that reminds us of kind of the magic of movies. Like I do ten of them throughout the telecast. I don't care, double it all. Like I love just kind of the historical perspective of them, and I always enjoy them. And people say like when they're trying to cut reduce length, it's like that's the first thing to go, but. Hell no, like leave them in and I'm looking forward to seeing them this Sunday. So that's going to do it for this episode of Must Go Faster. Uh, thanks for bearing with me on this uh, solo pod experience. Hope you're not too um, tired of hearing my voice without, you know, uh, Rob here, but he'll definitely be back on the next episode as we'll catch up on a ton of culture stuff we've been consuming, you know, so far this year and digging. So enjoy the Oscars, everyone. And uh, we'll talk to you next time.